Hello, everyone. Uh, this is the week when we would normally be doing our Ask the Once and Future Nerd livestream, but a lot more people were available next week, so that is what we're going to do. Our livestream will be on Sunday, November 17th, starting at 4.30 p.m. New York time. Uh, that's going to be on our YouTube channel. I'll put a link in the show notes, and it'll be on all of our social once the time gets closer. Now, if you want to submit a question, you have until Wednesday, November 13th. You can post on Twitter or Tumblr using hashtag AskTOAFN. You can DM us on Patreon if you're a patron, uh, or you can find the threads on our Facebook page or subreddit that are specifically for that purpose. But lest we leave you high and dry until then... I recorded an interview with Sarah Shackett, Gabrielle Urbina, and Zach Valenti of Wolf359 fame about their latest podcast project, Zero Hours. It was a really interesting conversation, and so that's what we've got for you today. We hope you enjoy it, and we will see you for the live stream on November 17th. Hello, everyone. I am very pleased to be talking today to three of my favorite creators working today. Uh, Sarah Shackett. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Gabrielle Urbina. Hi, Gabrielle. Greetings and salutations. And Zach Valenti. Hi, Zach. What do you want? No, yeah. <laughs> it's really nice to have you in my house. <laughs> nice to be back. Uh, Sarah, Gabrielle, and Zach are the production team behind Wolf 359, Time Bombs, No Bad Ideas, and most recently, Zero Hours. Uh, and I want to focus the lion's share of our conversation uh, today on Zero Hours. Um, Zero Hours is a seven-part anthology series focusing on various ends of the world, sometimes figurative and sometimes very literal. Um, it is extraordinarily good, and if you haven't listened to it yet, you should. We're going to try to keep things somewhat vague. There will probably be minor spoilers, though, um, in this conversation. Uh, but before we get into the zero hours question, I have a very important question for all three of you, um, because uh, no joke, uh, all of our mutual friends are currently, uh, it's Halloween as we were recording this, <laughs> yes. and all of our mutual friends are uh, partying uh, without us as, as we speak. Um, so I would like to ask uh, you three, um, if you could have any Halloween costume that you want, what would, and I'm going to, I'm going to say money's not an object, uh -huh. physics are. So you do okay. have to wear this, like if you say, I'm going to build a, like a working mech suit, you do have to pilot it around a party or whatever. Sure. Gotcha. And, and like, it is to like specifically a party because if we're going to like a costume expo, I might go Nosferatu, but if we're going to a bar... Then that's a different matter. Let's say, let's say, um, a like a moderately crowded, you know, New York City apartment house party. House Got party. It. Okay, Coffee. so not a Gundam. Not a yeah, <laughs> everyone <laughs> dies. Yeah, not, not a Halloween Gundam. costume. In yeah, in, yeah, yeah. just the overheating alone. Yeah, there's no. <laughs> yeah, no. That's the main factor I'm thinking about with this is is heat. Right. You'll want to yeah. probably avoid jet propulsion. Right, right, right. Kind. Yeah. And just like the size, like I feel yeah. like I'd be outside the 35th floor, looking <laughs> right. in, just like tap, tap, tap. Hi, can yeah. I get some punch? <laughs> right. <laughs> and you also need like you need you can only run it with modern. So whatever like cold fusion cell is powering the I Gundam. See, I see. I see. I'm trying to think about a actually good answer. Naturally, my brain is just like, you know. <laughs> What's the worst answer? A carousel of all the like most terrible, least physically practical ideas. Right. This is a you, no bad you, idea. I have the answer. Okay. okay. The answer, and I don't know if this applies to everybody, but I'm sure it's not just me, is Spike from uh, Cowboy Bebop. Ooh. That fucking suit 
done like like wherever the nicest place to get a custom mm-hmm. suit is. I would okay. go there and I would get that suit and then I would just wear it all year round. Legit. See, and that so often happens. Zach said something and the clouds parted. Right. And now I can confidently say, Spike from Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> just get like that, like one of those like uh-huh. long, nice black leather dusters. Yeah. Nice. That wouldn't be hot. I mean. It's supposed to be colder on Halloween. It, it is. is not. It's it not. Is. It's quite humid. Yeah. But yeah. Bro, we can, we can spike out. Yes. Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to think of another spike, spike. <laughs> that I can be. I could be strike, as in the Sergei Eisenstein film, <laughs> and just like have like a, a Tam O'Shanter cap oh, on. Deep cut. Yeah. And, and uh, also, not sure how you. <laughs> I'm, I mean, and also like a, a maybe a stuffed animal cow that something <laughs> happens to later. Strike. Was, uh, this wasn't the one with the. Um, no, I'm thinking of something you're thinking else. You're yeah. that's yeah, Potemkin. That's, that's uh, yeah. the other famous yeah. movie made by yeah. Eisenstein. Um, but, yeah. but that is that is a deep cut and very silly. Would you not stay something in character and not speak and just hold up title and be cards. silent? Yeah, just hold Ooh, up title that'd cards. Be fun. If you to um, although, if you're going to do title cards, yeah, Love Actually is the classic, mm. right? Um, honestly, I think like. In just for purposes of airflow um, mm. and being comfortable, but also still be still being like recognizably a character from something. Ray from Star Wars, hundred <laughs> percent mm. swag. Nice. Good. Yeah, good yeah. for airflow. That's for sure. And I think that um, anime, Joss Whedon, Star Wars, <laughs> that about covers uh, down to a <laughs> yeah, T. So no, yeah, long story short, sadly, sadly, yes. <laughs> um, long story short. We're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to do uh, a dead Paul. Like, ah. like Deadpool. No, dead, dead but Paul? like dead Paul McCartney of oh. conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. Got it, and got you get it. like the Nehru suit and the, the Hoffner base and just some like real good zombie makeup mm-hmm. with like a partial decapitation. Nice. Nice. Totally. For a second I wasn't sure if you meant like like one of the Paul brothers. <laughs> Just dead. <laughs> Just dead. No, it's Paul McCartney, but dead. Okay. Are you? Do you know this whole? No, not at all. This is a sidebar. There is a conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney died in 1966. Wait, I heard about yeah. this on a podcast earlier today. Okay. Like Whoa. In Whoa. The context, yes, in the context of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy <laughs> theories. What is that? Yeah. Spir- <laughs> I understood. Yeah. Conspiracy theories. I can. I can say words. <laughs> or can you? It's questionable. That's, that's the conspiracy. Theory. <laughs> that's the conspiracy theory. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, now that we've gotten the important stuff uh, out of the way, moving on to uh, to zero hours. Um, <laughs> my my first question that I wanted to start with, um, w- I'm curious, what was the first thing that kind of sang to you about zero hours? Like, when did and it might be different for all three of you, but like, what got you excited about the idea? When did you say there's a there there? Ooh, that's it's, an excellent question. Yeah, it is. Um, and I'm curious about what these guys will say. Um, but we spent, we've been talking about doing an anthology series more or less since January 2018. Like we've been talking about it for a while and we've kicked around a couple of different ideas. Um, and then finally, when we were getting around to the later half of this year, we wanted to do a new show and we kind of went, all right anthology time we've been talking about it for a year and a half let's actually do it um and we proceeded to kind of spend a little while pitching forth a couple of ideas and a couple of concepts 
none of which felt really like an aha moment mm. until I think it was Zach that said, I remember like one day we were sitting at a restaurant talking about it, our sort of like the ruins of our food kind of like all around us because we'd been there for like three hours. <laughs> um, and that's when Zach said stories about the end of the world, stories about different ideas about how worlds end. And that was, I think, for me, the moment that went kind of like, okay, cool. That we can do. We can do that. Great. Now it's just a matter of solving it, but we can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. At some point, somebody had said to me the definition of the apocalypse. I think it was around the time the movie Apocalypto was like new. Uh -huh. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Sure. A, the apocalypse isn't the end of the world. It's the end of the world as you know it. And mm. so that had been kicking around. And then like our initial conversation about an anthology series always kind of circled the drain that shaped like Black Mirror, yeah. Mm. Um, but for audio drama, and right. so uh, so that's I think where that sort of like leaked out, um, and that that's sort of the jumping off point at which it was like, oh, if that's the premise, then like all of a sudden, I I, I forget um, whose idea this was, but it was brilliant of just like let's go to the past come through to the present and then go to the future. That was your big conceit, Gabrielle. I remember, because I, I do have a vivid memory of this uh, work lunch that turned into a three-hour <laughs> affair. Work uh, lunch. <laughs> yes, work time with food. Um, <laughs> where we had had some different notions. One of yours was um, a series that was focused on the impact of technology because we were playing around in Charlie Booker's clothing. Um, Man's got a good closet. I mean, he's got quality closet. Great shoes, does Charlie Booker. Um, and the conceit of that we were toying around with was uh, let's tell Black Mirror esque stories, but let's have them be set in the past before we end up in the future. Um, and we're big fans of Wicked and Divine here and uh, Years and Years and stuff that, that sort of jumps through time. Mm -hmm. And so we had that kind of kicking around as like, this is good, but we don't quite have a spine for it that we all love. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of like, let's tell different variations on an apocalypse with the understanding that it's not the end of the world. It's the end of the world as you know it. Um, that, until it is the end. Until of the world. it is right. the end of the world, because you know you you, you gotta come through on that promise. <laughs> Episode seven spoilers. <laughs> uh, the world doesn't. Um, and so I think I think it really clicked for all of us right then and there. When 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 Zach said end of the world. Yeah. yeah ends of the yeah. Yeah. As we know it. <laughs> and I. I'm really proud of us that that song did not end up on any of the episode <laughs> playlists. And it's definitely not because we didn't have the budget. No, it's the playlist. <laughs> yeah. um, but with that said, I think that it was a year and a half of kind of various drafts of various concepts of various things yeah. leading up to that aha moment. It was kind of, you know, chipping away at the conceptual mountain and then the avalanche finally starting. All the pieces were there and then you finally found the what was Yeah, what held things and... together. Um, and then we all got very excited. Yeah. Uh, and forgot about how much work it was going to be. <laughs> and then we all, we all got very sad, but in a good way, uh -huh. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, it was, like, people who've had babies always say, like, oh, this, you forget how bad it is, the first, you know, like, how much yeah. it hurts. There's got to be some parallel to the, the creative process. Jesus. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, something that, that struck me uh, very early on 
um, it, it, when I start like by about halfway through episode two, hmm. um, you know, when I hear end of the world, I immediately think of like the scope and the breadth of those stakes. Um, and yet all of the episodes of Zero Hours are basically uh, dialogues. There's one uh, notable exception that I will let listeners discover for themselves because it is such a fun reveal. Um, but every episode <laughs> is uh, is two people. Um, one wants something from the other. Often someone has a big secret or isn't quite who they claim to be, but it's all, you know, these, these um, one-on-ones. Um, and without giving too much away, that is revealed to be very significant at the end. Um, but can you guys talk about the decision to to do it that way and it's like it's not the one the way that one typically makes a story about the end of the world money yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was a production Mula. constraint more than it was uh although it definitely was a, it it shaped it was a choice that then shaped the conceptual um work that we did to develop the series we knew that if we wanted to do an anthology that means different actors in every episode if we're having like more than two episodes uh it's going to get very expensive very quickly if Uh, we don't rein it in yes yeah so you set that constraint uh for for practical logistical reasons and then you kind of built out from and there. we also were nerds so like we listened to stuff like uh what was the t- uh john finnamore double, 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 double x yeah which was, is a series of a uh, two-handers mm. um was a th- sort of one of the nice kind of like oh like there is a way to do kind of a series of independent stories this is a thing yeah uh-huh. and had that been like had that already been kicking around in your brains or did you go and seek it out after you made the decision to do zero hours that way? I mean, we knew about Double Axe before we started thinking about, or at least before we started talking about our own anthology series. Right. I certainly yeah. hadn't bought it on Audible until I had a deadline for a script uh-huh. that was a two-hander, <laughs> and then I couldn't buy it fast enough. Right. <laughs> I forget, though, at what stage in the project the idea of every one of these as a two-hander came up. Because I kind of think that that was around before it was the before. end yeah. of the world idea. No, because I, I remember there were like several rounds of pitches where we were figuring out, you know, what we wanted to to tackle in terms of subject matter, but like had sort of organically decided these are these are two handers. And did you once you started doing that? How did kind of the how did the 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 limitations kind of inform? Did you find them helpful once you committed to that limitation? They're incredibly helpful, but in a strange way, I feel that they are helpful largely in subconscious ways yeah. and largely mm. in kind of um, um, ways that we kind of preach see appreciate retroactively rather than kind of things that went that we were kind of like. Yes, let's do it this way. You just very perspicaciously pointed out almost all the stories are about a conversation where one character is going to the other one and going, hey, I want you to come and do something with me. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not notice that until five of the scripts were written. Yeah. Um, like That was a revelation that came about when five out of the seven scripts were written. And then... Number seven is very conspicuously about people having a conversation where one party is going, do something without me, leave me Mm. behind. Um, But that only sort of came about later on. Um, There was something that we arrived at, I think, intuitively at 
the model once it was sort of like end of the world, two people, contained stories, um, the sort of recursive situational part of it kind of made itself more than we made it in many ways. Yeah, and I think it's because it just limits your thinking into the kinds of stories you feel like you can tell, you know? Mm. Like, if you know that all you have are two voices, um, except for the one time that we cheat, um, (laughs) then that just informs your thinking about what you can do with those um, and sort of how much ground you can cover and what kind of ground you want to cover. Uh, You know, as you say, lots of people have secrets. If, you know, you have a cast of eight, then, you know, that secret has to be the thing that the show is about Mm -hmm. or... You know, you kind of have to leave it by the wayside. But when you only have two, you have space for that. Um, And you don't have space for other things. So, yeah, it just, I think you're quite right, Gabrielle, that it affects sort of your subconscious decision making and you realize like what you're doing later on. Did you guys ever do the, I I, I thought when I was writing this up and I I thought a couple times about um, when I was first taking like, you know, drama classes and like the first thing that the acting teacher made us do. I don't know if you guys ever did this exercise, but it was like, you take two people and say, okay, stand here. And then he got the, the door prop and he put uh-huh. it between them and he closed the door prop and say, uh, you want to get in. Uh, you don't let him. And it's like, and now you have a oh, scene. Right. And, and it's, so there's something like very elegantly simple about the, there's two people. One person wants something from the other. I, I was I'm curious whether you guys had ever like encountered that very on the nose kind of thing before. No, but my God, if we ever write more of these stories, now I'm only <laughs> hey, going to think only of them door. this way. It's only going to be stories locked have a doors. Door. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's tremendous. I love that. <laughs> um, so, so one thing that I really, you know, going from the, the small to the, to the big, um, something that I, I really loved about zero hours was, um, how you used the, this format to kind of let big thematic questions naturally emerge for the audience by which I guess I mean me um, (laughs) over, over the course of hearing all of these interpersonal dramas um, play out. Um, And, and one theme that really emerged for me was faith versus science and kind of the, and not even versus just like, Here's faith, here's science, here's the the benefits and pitfalls um, of each. Um, was that part of the initial idea? Did that just kind of naturally emerge for you guys too once you started writing about the end of the world? I think the second, for me personally, I, I, I can't speak to uh, what went on between the ears of these two folks. Uh-huh. <laughs> I set out to make a polemic about <laughs> God and about, no, not at all, not at all. Um but I think that once you're dealing with endings, you're inevitably dealing with questions about mortality and how you deal with that. And I think that inevitably that kind of leads you into some places where it's a lot of how do you contend with the idea that there are bigger things out there and that even if things don't work out here, mm. it is going to be okay because there's a bigger structure out there. And how do you have faith in mm. that, whether it is kind of in a Christian sense or in the sense of there really being a gigantic undiscovered continent that no one has seen any evidence of so far, but we just have to believe that it is there because it has to be. Because money. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
Because, Which was another unconscious because money <laughs> in these was, uh, yes. No, like there was a point when we were editing that Zach turned to us and kind of went, you know, a lot of these stories are about people turning to another person and trying to use them as an ATM machine. <laughs> and Sarah and I turned to each other. We were like, God, you're not wrong. And it's kind of alarming that we're only realizing that in the edit of the thing. <laughs> it is kind of wild, like what you realize as you you especially with something like theme of like oh yeah i guess i was thinking about that maybe on some level um but yeah i mean well i guess here's here's an interesting follow-up because Mm. here's kind of um in terms of like big quotes meaning in in that theme that i was talking about like something i kind of i left with something really nuanced because um it's almost like in the in each of the in in many of the individual reactions, we are seeing the shortcomings of faith. Sure, but when you examine the whole arc of the you know, the show gives you a bird's eye eye view of a predicted course for humanity, and you're seeing the pitfalls of science when you zoom when you zoom out. out. Yeah, and I like. When I say that like that, does that resonate with your guys' actual world views? Is that something you convinced yourself of, or is that is this like the first time you like? Yeah, I, that's tough. I don't know that like it is. Although I can't speak for these gentlemen, that it is. You know that the themes of zero hours are an encapsulation of our worldview about faith and science and like. The trajectory of human development, uh, but I think what's fair is that these are tensions that we think about and grapple with, and we're playing with in the episodes. Um, and nuanced is a very kind thing to say. I would say that we are contradictory a little bit and come down a little bit differently depending on the episode. Yeah. Uh, and there are. I think no easy answers, which is why they're interesting themes. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's what's so. That's when I say nuance. It's like it be, it, you you let the audience just explore that tension by the way it plays out. And I, I, for me, it was definitely more of an exploration than it was a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, um, yeah, this whole thing has been a little bit of a venting. Uh, for some energies in us collectively that like the mind meld is obvious in. And then (laughs) I think there's also some dark corners that is just like unique to each one of us um, that we kind of got to work out. So yeah, I'm curious what you have to say. I was just thinking that it's interesting, especially with the stories that are set into the future. Mm. I think that they are very, very colored by where we are in 2019. Mm. And a lot of the things that we are now talking about in terms of, say, climate change, that human technological developments have conspicuously moved the planet as a whole towards a place of very difficult to fix damage. Um, And I think that that really sort of colors the later stories that we are living kind of in this place where or this point in history where at least to me it feels really quite scary and really quite like we are at the edge of a precipice and that Mm. even though things are getting better in some ways 
there are these huge, big underlying problems that are going、mm. unaddressed. And I think that a lot of that ended up sort of coming out in the series. And I think that it is true that kind of、um, while there are moments of very real human optimism within sort of each of the last four stories. Really, kind of as the series goes forward, the kind of worldview of the macro world around it gets sort of like more dire and more dire with each passing year and with each passing story.、Mm. Yeah, there's something almost almost pessim not pessimistic isn't right, but there's something fa- almost fatalistic about you know the way it, it and I think it that unfolds it is appropriate for a series where we knew going in that the world was going to end, and part of I think what's interesting is as the In each episode of the series, the circumstances of the characters are just a little bit more constrained, and so people are making、yes. choices、mm. um, with just a little bit less room for error,、mm. frankly.、Um, and that certainly, I think, speaks to the anxieties that I certainly share、uh, with my counterpart over here about you know us being at the very, very end of a of a road、uh, and. At a certain point, there will be no turning back from something really horrible for all of us. Yeah, and I think that that's also reflected in we were consciously trying to do different genres for these stories, and the ones that could be argued are comedies are very much upfront,、mm-hmm. and it gets grimmer and grimmer genre wise <laughs> as it goes forward. It's true, which is classic us, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anybody who's listened to Wolf Three Fifty Nine is nodding in recognition. Yes. <laughs> like, yes.、Um, now that we've talked about、uh, faith and science and the end of the world,、um, <laughs> I want to get into the really interesting stuff and talk about how to make an audio drama.、Um, Woo! <laughs>、uh, you all took turns co-writing and directing、um, these seven episodes. Mm-hmm.、Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that process was was like? Well, it was very fast. Okay.、Um, what was the what was the span like from started writing in earnest to to completion? What how long was that?、Yeah. Six weeks, seven weeks at most.、Wow. Seven weeks to completion,、um, which we initially had conceived of as like a month long exercise, and that was very silly on our part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.、Uh, no, even six slash seven weeks, still deeply silly. Yeah.、Um, mm. And we should have taken longer to do it. And by silly. We mean masochistic.、Uh-huh. Yes, that is that is、uh, what that word is placeholding for. <laughs> It's a euphemism. Yes,、uh, um, and it it was slightly dependent on actors、uh, when the writing happened. Yes,、uh, because we had some folks come into town、uh, very early in the process, and so episode four needed to be written quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first episode that was written, and it was written more or less. Um, from the moment that we had kind of a conceptual idea for the series, and the moment that everybody kind of sent went go,、yeah. I sort of went to figure out what the heck was the present day story and what it was going to be because、um, we had an amazing talent, Brigham Snow, who we'd wanted to work with for years. Yes, right, and and just the schedule sort of lined up that we wouldn't have to fly this human out、mm. to work with them, at, but we would need to record like. How many weeks after? We... I, I mean, we actually recorded for a little bit. That was the second recording, but because Brigham was like going to be at sea for a while, he right, needed a right, copy right, of right. the script like 
Yeah, mm. so I that think episode... like 10 days into the project or wow. something crazy. That's right. Yeah, that is uh, sub- September 10th. I remember very clearly that was my sort of like internal deadline for when that script needed to be done. Wow. Yeah. We were talking about in earnestly beginning this series. I think somewhere around August 28th is when we all kind of put our hands in the middle and went, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and break. Um, but no, but we have in the past sort of talked about production sprints and their virtues and how they're sort of something that has really helped us focus as storytellers, how to kind of really get to the heart of something, how to really sort of push yourself to make new work and how often the fear. Yeah. How yep. to kind of push past it. Mm. Um, there is such a thing as sprinting too hard mm. and um, we will calibrate further in the future but it was really made with kind of this idea of this is meant to be something that forces us to get some stories out quite quickly we did have a meeting where we all sort of talked about well okay how many scripts does each of us want to be responsible for do we all want to direct how do we want to handle that um, and we sort of divvied things up and then we were all responsible for what we were responsible for um, and then, uh, you know, we're f- from Wolf, very used to swapping back and forth and getting feedback from each other uh, as the production got underway. Uh, but it was sort of like, got your marching orders and then go. Yeah, I mean, that was so, so, so you did write it, you know, out of order due to logistical constraints. Oh, uh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, and there was a, a non zero amount of, cave time where it was like here's the basic idea the basic premise really the thing the only thing that we had for sure nailed down were the years that we were all mm-hmm. writing yeah. before we started right. yeah. there were like two three line pitches in a doc but I know I threw I threw mine out pretty quickly mm. and uh, had that sheepish like would you guys mind terribly if I did something very different can, I did I did too I think yeah. we I think we all did I think we all did yeah, yeah. can I ask what pitches got thrown out and, and, and why? I'm curious. I mean, you don't have to answer it, but I'm very curious now that you've said that. I can speak for mine. Um, I had a kind of placeholder idea. Um, I, for me, writing feels like uh, pulling teeth, and so there was a certain amount of my throwing my hat into the ring um, just to get get it over with and just like, you mm. know, uh, put myself in a situation where I would have to write something just to keep that muscle alive. Um, and so the first idea I had after lif- listening to a uh, marathon repeat binge of double acts uh, was just a very like technically radio idea that relied on redefinition and just like it was basically like uh uh, what's the word like a sort of of mice and men scenario of mm. like these two characters like in a bounty hunter-esque you know barren wasteland one is super obnoxious to the other and then like later on you discover that the obnoxious character is actually a programmed robot by the person being annoyed to just stay <laughs> sane um and so it was yeah it was like it, it was like a radio joke no and you hear that and you kind of go like what a great story to tell on the radio to mm-hmm. kind of have like yeah. this character who's reality is hidden throughout the entire story until the end and then i got to like actually outlining it and nothing it was just like pushing a boulder up a hill Mm. i was just like i hate this why am i doing this it's like a cute idea but like i just i kept 
struggling to like, it was like, maybe they need gold for this thing. I don't know. It, it just, it, it wasn't happening. Mm. And I had this escape hatch of an obsession of mine. Um, I've just been like diving into this weird historical character who is purported to have had some weird endocrine system changes, which led to a number of things, including bioelectricity mm. um, being like evident in their skin, which is hard to believe, but really useful for fiction. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so that, that's how that happened. Meanwhile, I had kind of a very different story for the end of the season mm. that was actually going to be about the last human being that was still alive. Mm. Um, and kind of over the course of making the stories, we eventually arrived at the conclusion in no small part, thanks to some really, really, really smart advice that we got along the way. Um, that the stories actually needed to have some connective tissue throughout them mm. and some um, thing that kind of joined them all together beyond just vague theming. Mm. Um, and so then that sort of last story was not something that could pull that off, was not something that could go back in time and mm. kind of join things together. And so we needed a new story that could do that. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, all of mine changed, I would say, a medium amount, uh, but none of the there were, none of the concepts like changed so dramatically as that. But I feel like every story think, there was. I think you had one where the concept changed because of casting. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, that I think is like the other reality of mm. it. Of kind of we. Uh, there was a certain amount of in the drafting of who was around and who was willing to work with us. Some stories became, um, had to go into different territory just because of that. Yeah. Mm. It's really interesting. So this, at least as an audience member, um, this felt very different in uh, scope from both the years-long epic that was Wolf 359 and the mad dash that was... Time bombs, though it's it sounds like it was kind of it's a mad dash in its own way. Um, but what I'm curious, what new things you learned making this show in the way that that you made it? How to make footsteps with my fingertips? <laughs> How do you it's make true. footsteps? Uh, I think you put me onto the Walker was, plugin. Oh, is that the one? I don't know if I if maybe I that was, wasn't you. I, but I I heard about it. It's where it's like MIDI controlled yeah, yeah, footsteps. It's wild. It's, it's insane. Amazing. Um, I have this like old MIDI keyboard um, that I think I got back in college to make uh -huh. electronic music and um, and yeah, you basically just like can get different shoes with different fabrics yeah, in like the floors, pants and different yeah. floor types and and so I I got it for one episode, episode three, um, uh, Sarah's nineteen uh, twenties uh, prohibition um, epic, which I thought was super fun and 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 this sort of balletic like mm. like just people walking around trying to get, break into something um which of all the episodes that I had edited so far was the one that I I felt sounded the most crippled by just cutting and pasting previously mm. recorded footsteps mm -hmm. um and then after that episode I just was an unchained monster and had to <laughs> do pretty much every other episode except for episode two where the snow footsteps were fine mm. um, from the pre-tape stuff. Um, and in addition to that, I learned a 
ton about the isotope suite mm. of, uh, mm. of filters and plugins and things, um, which we used in a number of different ways. Yeah. Um, which was awesome. Yeah, this was be a lifesaver. I, I was about to say, like, a lot of people have kind of gone, like, wow, like, you know, like, the sound production on this is really amazing. And that is all Zach Valenti. 100% Valente, Mr. Valenti. Sound yeah. wizard really wow. kind of elevating the game on past anything we'd done in the past. I would say it was worth a decade of <laughs> <laughs> uh, later life, but I definitely felt unbelievably supported, not only by the incredible, like, like content that we had to work with from the studio. Um, but, uh, I mean, I could not have done what I did in the time that we had, if you hadn't done what you did with the, you know, just like assemblies and collecting sound effects and things, Gabrielle. Um, and so, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a fucking team effort. <laughs> um, but, uh, I definitely feel like I leveled up several times as a sound designer and audio human, um, let alone no, writing. This, this was like, like Charizard this writing thing. Yeah, Charizard no, he, level. He, sound design he went super Saiyan at the end of this. <laughs> I feel like I failed to learn things as we make it. No. And I think that I had the benefit of writing the first story, the mm. middle story, and the last story. Mm. Um, and because of that, I think that I got to do a lot of kind of thinking about structuring stories, not just within themselves, but in complements to one another. Mm. Um, and like, there was a lot of thought that went into kind of, okay, the first story should not just be about a priest and a witch walk into a bar, even mm. though that is kind of what it is. Um, but there was a, some thought in my brain of, no, because of what the rest of the series is, they really should be wrestling with an idea of how the world is going to end. It mm. should be a story that, even though it swerves in a lot of different directions, begins from a place of one person genuinely believes that the world is going to end tonight. Mm. And likewise, at the end of the road, I kind of realized like, oh, and it is now important just as that kind of pointed forward, the last story has to point backwards. Mm. And the world needs to end the way that they thought it was going to mm. end in episode one. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of learned a lot about like the value of these things, these kind of like cross-connective textures over mm. independent stories. I think it's something that I hadn't done a lot of thinking before this project. Mm. Hmm. I'll tell you what. I think I learned... Um, a little bit more about when and how to trust my like insecurity alarm. Mm. Um, because I uh, sort of went through drafting a couple of these um, with deep unease that something wasn't working. And I figured out more and more quickly like where I should be trusting that thought and where I should just like pound back another energy drink and tell myself to shut up mm. um, and sort of figuring out how much to listen to like my editor brain as I was writing. Um, mm. And so these guys were very patient because my scripts were in like right at the deadline, all of them. Um, but it got better and better as, as I went on. I think even like, I don't know, episode two is, Maybe my favorite of the bunch. Um, well, that's and, Felix uh, and Tom. They're just so great. Th see, that's what you said when we recorded. And I stand by that. Um, I mean, they, I, 
did an incredible fucking job, but my God, was that script hilarious. Yeah, that was a really snappy, fun <laughs> script. And depressing as well. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Hilarious uh, uh, the whole uh, way along. <laughs> yeah. Um, the flip side of that last question, what did you learn from previous shows that you were really glad you had in your toolbox this time? Um, I'm really glad I had directed something before this. And so that I uh, went in um, and was sort of able, like, I had none of the nerves about directing that I had. Mm. Um, I think that knowing what things register clearly in radio stories and what mm. didn't, that was one of the muscles that we spent a lot of time developing in Wolf 359, and that was invaluable for this project. How little sleep I can have and not die? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. That was actually my next question. I was just kind of kind of sit here and, and look you all in the eyes and say... Did you guys take care of yourselves while no. you were doing this? No, I straight no. up had a nervous breakdown <laughs> no. at some point in this, towards the very, very end. And uh, I'm looking forward to never repeating uh, what I did to myself in order to make this happen on time. Yeah, no. And like, I think that we all pulled all nighters. I think that we all sort of like were kind of in a place of sacrificing a lot of the other work in our lives that yeah. needed mm -hmm. to happen in order to do this. And I think that we kind of learned a very good lesson about, yes, a violin needs to be pulled taut. Like the strings need to be taut <laughs> right. in order to make the sound that they make. Those strings break if right. you pull them too tautly. Um, and I think that we're excited to take that sort of <laughs> self-care awareness yeah. into the next thing. Yeah, it's always so interesting because uh, why we all do that to ourselves, I feel like you guys do so much um, good work in uh, you know in the, the the back half of no bad ideas to like kind of talk about taking care. It's of It's so our... much easier to do it for other people. Yeah, you know, yeah. you would I would never treat other people the way I treat myself, mm. and I think that's true for because a lot of folks. We'd be put in jail, as <laughs> frankly, Sondheim says in right. company of like you know like if we did unto others what we do unto ourselves, the police would intervene. <laughs> yeah, no, it would be bad. Um, and I've I never have related to like Bilbo Baggins being like I feel like butter scraped over <laughs> too much bread <laughs> as I did like towards the end of uh, of getting zero hours done. Um, well, thank you for for that um, and for you know being candid and talking about your your process and everything. So, now suppose pleasure. suppose that I'm someone in the audience and I've just listened to zero hours and I said, wow, I loved that. I want to make something like that one day. Are there any resources that you could perhaps point me towards if I wanted to do something like that? Well, young child in the <laughs> audience, there were not. But then the three of us put our heads together and we realized, no, wait a minute. There should be something that is like a clear digestible resource on how to start thinking about audio stories. Uh, and so we made something and it's called Audio Fiction 101. Um, and it's an online course about how to begin thinking about audio storytelling and what are the pitfalls, what are the strengths, what are the things that you can do and how can you do it well. Um, and now it exists online for everyone's learning pleasure. And where can people find that if they're interested? www.audiofiction101.com 
very good numerals at the end. Yes. yes. Roman ones probably. Yeah, Roman. 101. And no, wait. No, no, no. That's a joke. That is a joke. Yes. <laughs> the, like the Dalmatian. The Arabic movie. slash normal ones. Yes. Yes. Um, great. And uh, what's next? Do you know? Can you talk about it? Are you just resting? What's. I think we're um, like, as a collective, we are discussing a couple of possibilities for the future. Yeah. I think that we're very, very excited to have a lot of November in kind of blocked off for sleep time as a collective mm-hmm. and recuperation. Um, and, you know, we're still working on getting the word out about zero hours and getting let out. Um, but we're excited about doing some more new stuff at the end of the year and then the new year. And all that while we'll be uh, procrastinating the writing that we might otherwise should be doing um, uh, <laughs> with a show called No Bad Ideas, a storytelling game show. And can we, you uh, tell, uh, for any uh, Philistines who are not uh, familiar, can you uh, tell people what uh, No Bad Ideas is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we find the worst ideas on the internet and try to pitch them into uh, terrible stories, uh, or good stories, hopefully good stories. From terrible um, ideas. From terrible ideas. Um, so we find like just the worst news stories with just bad choices, the mm. worst of humanity, <laughs> and then have to, uh, in just 10 minutes... Uh, turn those ideas into movies, comic books, whatever they seem to call out to be transformed into. Yeah, the, uh, the that show is uh, is is such a treat. If you like stories in in any way, the 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 part of your brain that likes stories will be uh, pleasantly tickled um, by the show. I did an episode that was uh, I had a so much delightful fun. Story. I was, was going to say so delighted in the way that. The direction that and surprised in the way that that story Christian uh, went. helped us tell a great story about a boy and his rock and roll cricket, and it was a wonderful time. <laughs> that was that was something. Um, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with before we part ways? For any of you who uh, are thinking about writing some things, uh, November first heralds not only the first of November, but <laughs> also uh, the first of. Rye Scrivember, otherwise known as Write a Script in November. Uh, I was inspired uh, several years ago now, it's crazy to say, um, by uh, NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month, uh, to have a month to kick myself in the butt and do something that I rarely take the initiative to do, which is write something, but specifically script pages. Um, So basically anybody who's interested in writing a script, be it a movie, be it an audio drama, you name it, YouTube videos, uh, the stretch goal is 90 pages in a month for a feature film, but it's really bring your own goal. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be a a chill sort of uh, time-compressed writing challenge. Um, And uh, yeah, it's amazing. The community on Twitter is super supportive and uh and beautiful and lovely and uh yeah it's true it's shockingly for twitter but yes <laughs> uncharacteristically very wholesome <laughs> yeah highly recommend okay uh well zero hours uh is available now wherever you get your podcasts along with uh time bombs uh, i want to thank uh my guest sarah shackett thanks for taking the time thank you so much christian this was a delight gabriel urbina thank you my pleasure Zach Valenti, thank you for speaking with me and for uh, recording this whole shebang. My pleasure, but still, what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.